Welcome to Being 11. My name's Amanda Marsh and I'm inviting you to take a journey with everyday people as they recall their pre-teen years, sharing the good, the bad and the cringeworthy. Sofro Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which we record, the Wajak Noongar, paying respect to elders past, present and future. Today I'm talking with Tanya. Tanya, you're from Guernsey, that's correct? That is correct, yes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm looking forward to hearing about Guernsey. What year are we discussing? I turned 11 in 1976. So can you walk us through Guernsey? Okay, Guernsey is a little island in the Channel Islands. In 1976, it was pretty warm by uh, British standards. It was the summer of 76, we still refer to it as that, so it was pretty hot. So I remember lots of times on the beach and we have particularly interesting tides in Guernsey, uh, 10 metre tides. So spending time on the beach would mean going down and the tide was out nearly a kilometre and there was an expanse of dark sand, um, hard sand. We could mark out a football field and kick a ball around and play. We used to play lots of bocce with my parents up and down from one side of the beach to the other playing bocce and then other times when the tide was up there was hardly any sand at all and we just went straight in the water and swam so yeah it was a, it was a great year 1976 the weather was great that's what I remember I don't remember the winter of 76 <laughs> perhaps you didn't have one <laughs> I think we would have had one in Guernsey <laughs> so for those who don't know where exactly are the Channel Islands um, good question a lot of people don't know because they're so small uh, they're group of islands called the Channel Islands in the English Channel, but much closer to France than the UK. So about 40 k's off the coast of France, and nestled in a little inlet by St Malo. Okay. And had your family been there for generations? or? Yeah, they have, yeah. My, my parents, both of them, both sides, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, yeah, local Guernsey people are called donkeys, so I'm a Guernsey donkey through and through. <laughs> what, why a donkey? I, I don't know exactly. We, we believe it's because we're a stubborn race <laughs> and a hard-working race. So I think I fit both of those stats. <laughs> Actually, that's, that's a, a question I was thinking of. It would be interesting to ask you. I, I was wondering if the Channel Islanders feel like if they're parochial, are they their own, if you like their own nation or do they feel English? Do they feel French? What? We feel very parochial, parochial or even parochial. Yeah. The, the suburbs, as you would call, I guess, are actually called parishes. So we're very parochial with our parishes and even where we, which parish we come from. The islands are 45 square kilometres. So it's pretty small, but it has a population of 65,000. Mm-hmm. And... Guernsey has its own, it's self-governed. It's actually not part of the United Kingdom. It's part of Great Britain and the Queen or the King. King now. Is our ruler. Yep. However, completely self-governed, our own currency. Pounds and pence, our own currency, our own postage stamps, our own police force, government, everything. So it's sort of part of the Commonwealth but not part of the United Kingdom. So it's quite unique. It's very unique, yeah. Mm. And Guernsey also has, as part of its bailiwick, 
four other islands being Alderney, Sark, Herm and Jetu. And there's one other larger Channel Island in Guernsey called Jersey, which is just its own entity again. And that's where the Jersey cow comes from, I'm assuming. That is where the very beautiful <laughs> Jersey cow comes from, with the gorgeous eyelashes. It'd be very trendy right now, I think, those cows. <laughs> but you're the donkey. I'm the donkey, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so going back to 1976, mm-hmm. can you describe maybe a typical weekday for an 11-year-old in Guernsey? What's yeah. it look like? How do you go to school? Do you yeah. go to school? Yeah. Do you work in farms? Well, certainly go to school. So 1976 was a significant year for me because that was our last year of junior school. So from Guernsey, we would go to high school in what would be year six now, mm-hmm. I guess. I think it's the same equivalent. So we were 11 when we went to high school. And so school was important in the sense, we probably didn't realise how important it was at the time, but instead of a NAPLAN type test, we would have this thing called the 11 plus um, which all last fourth year junior school students would sit this test, the 11 plus, just a one test. I don't remember doing it three times. I think we just did it once one day. But that would decide what senior school you went to and a very archaic system where it was pretty much, we were told you would be selected for the school that was suitable. But as students and even as parents, we all felt it was a pass or a fail. If you passed, you went to a pretty good school. If you didn't, I, they were good schools, but at the time, the way we thought about them, if you, you went to the secondary modern, which focused more on vocational stuff, which is actually more relevant now and today, mm, yeah. whereas the other two schools, if you passed your 11 plus, you would go to um, do more um, academic and physics and science and biology and lots of things like that. So um, that was a little bit of pressure, I guess. So I guess we didn't realise it was pressure at the time. Mm-hmm. I think for a kid going to school, I walked to school or I rode my bike to school at age 11. I did a paper round after school on my bike. I remember having fun at school. Like, it was, I, I loved school. <laughs> it was good fun. Just hang out with your friends. And then after school, sometimes I would go and play badminton at a badminton club. I went to Brownies after school. Maybe I went to guides by the time I was 11, can't remember. But everything on a push bike, my mum and dad didn't have a car. Um, not because the island's too small. Most people had cars. We just went a wealthy family, didn't have a car. So I used to walk or cycle everywhere. After school, it would be having your schoolmates around to your house, so you will go to theirs, playing elastic. Do you remember elastic? Vaguely, yeah. <laughs> we have two people standing opposite each other and a double elastic around their ankles and the person playing the game would be jumping yes, from side I to side and doing that. different things. Oh we are in love. We played that. elastic for hours, me and my neighbour, yeah. um, my na- best friend who lived across the street. I had my cousins living across the street. So one of those sort of environments we all played yeah. together. Yeah. And then we would have dinner, which invariably your mum would cook because your dad went to work. So that was mum's work <laughs> come dinner shout your dinner's ready and often then after dinner because it was still light till nine-ish nine thirty even in the summer we would then go up to the play park ride our bikes down back to the beach without our parents we were safe it was great Cornwall in those days and we would just play outside until it got dark and that was our time to come home pretty idyllic really <laughs> what did what did mum cook what was dinner like? Okay, well, she made spectacular roast dinners, and every Sunday it was roast dinner, mm-hmm. whatever, always roast dinner around the table. Um, and we used to have things like tin meatballs with spaghetti <laughs> <laughs> and um, calf's liver and onions. And I think back now that it's a perfect diet for uh, mad cow disease. <laughs> 
true story. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I could we go on about the roast and I could say the biggest roast. Yorkshire puddings you just made. Oh, yeah. it's not a roast unless there's a Yorkshire yeah. pudding. Mum made the biggest Yorkshire puddings and she did teach me a lot of stuff that I cook these days, Yeah, to be honest. And um, when we were growing up, it was more basic food, but mm. as we got older, she put on big dinner parties and, and did spectacular parties for friends and stuff. Yeah. But back to the roast dinner, the um, Yorkshire puddings, and you put the fat in the oven till it's smoking hot yep, and it. pour it in, and they come up so big. Yep. And they used to like, oh, shame. I used to fill them up with tomato sauce. <gasps> I, I had tomato sauce with my roast dinner for an awful long time. I this, don't I don't anymore. <laughs> this is the proof that you weren't on the mainland. That, that, <laughs> oh, yeah, sacrilege. <laughs> that's criminal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a, my my mum used to, I don't know why, but we had roast on a Monday. Okay. And... Mum would always make Yorkies. But if we had anything but beef, we couldn't have Yorkies. Yeah, it's only with, with beef. I know. Only with beef. Yeah, we only had with beef. But they're so great. They I are. hate that tradition. We had crack, crackling with roast pork, the best yes. crackling. Oh, yeah. just break. Yeah. Break your teeth on it. And applesauce. Handmade applesauce. Yeah, we never got that. Yeah. We were, mostly we had beef, but mm-hmm. occasionally something else. But mm-hmm. I, if I've got a roast, I have to have a Yorkshire pudding, regardless mm-hmm. of what mm-hmm. the meat is. Um, okay, so that's what your mum was doing for you. Mm-hmm. What was Dad doing? Oh, Dad was, was I guess, out there earning the money. Yeah, doing <laughs> Dad, what, Dad um, was uh, officially, he used to say he was a wine connoisseur. I do believe he trained in that. But he was a beer and wine merchant. I think it was called. Mm-hmm. So basically he would go to all the pubs and selling booze, which is a, another little anecdote. In that job, he used to get a lot of merch T-shirts, I guess, with T-shirts with Guinness and Southern Comfort and mm-hmm. Harp and Perno, all the all the alcohol drinks all over them. And I seem to remember being 11 and being any age, actually, um, seeing as we didn't have much money, I'd just look at photos and see me. <laughs> As an eleven-year-old with sudden comfort over <laughs> my chest, or Ricard on my cap. <laughs> just, Did anyone you know, respond to that, or you, it was just like, "Oh, it's just the daughter of the wine merchant." That's I cool. guess that was just the daughter of the wine merchant. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what they were. <laughs> I just thought they were cool T-shirts. <laughs> they were free. That's why I had them. And was he importing it, or just he was he was just distributing it? Uh, distributing it, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. He had a, a nice office though on the um, one of the coast roads, which had a big window looking over the other islands of Pernasark and, and Jetu. And Battle of Britain Day or some day, we used to always have the red arrows, the, oh, the yeah. planes that would come and, and leave trails of mm-hmm. smoke behind them and and do laps in the sky and everything. And I always remember that we could go on that day to his office and we could sit in that big window and almost be on a parallel level with these planes going forward and back and I just thought I was like, you know, <laughs> it was the best spot in the world yeah. to be um, on that day. Was that yeah. celebrated on Battle of Britain Day or the day that Guernsey was liberated? Because they're different mm. dates. But they are very different dates, yeah. So Guernsey was liberated in May. Guernsey is the, the Channel Islands the only place to be occupied during World War Two? And so the island became the most fortified place during the war when Hitler was in control. And so 
we have the most beautiful beaches and stuff, but we have lots of concrete walls and lots of bunkers and lots of fortifications all the way around the island because of that, which adds to the history. But yeah, the Liberation Day was on the 9th of May in the Channel Islands um, after five years of German occupation. So that's not the day the Red Arrows come. The okay. Liberation Day is an extremely important part of my culture. When the islands were occupied, uh, I think it was about 30,000 children were sent, packed with their suitcases down the harbour and just sent away. No one knew how long the war was going to mm. be. But the parents thought it too risky to keep the children there. Choice. And my, Yeah, and my dad was one of the children who was evacuated, mm-hmm. um, along with brothers and sisters. His parents were able to go with him, so the family stayed together. They moved around a lot in the UK. Um, my mum was born during the war in Guernsey. Her two brothers, a little bit older, were sent away. So for my mum, she was born pretty much under German rule, I guess, for mm-hmm. two, three years of her life. But it was quite quite a sad time, obviously, for Islanders there. It wasn't a complete lockdown, mm-hmm. as we've had in COVID, but it was five years of lockdown with curfews and, mm-hmm. um, and, and running out of food and things like that. I do remember my grand telling me that during her pregnancy with my mum, she only ate parsnips and potatoes because that's all they could grow in this tiny two-metre square allotment with their yeah. house. Um, and I think that might have affected mum's health because um, she was not fed as a fetus, I guess, and yeah. then the first two years of her life not fed very well. Um, no one's fault. That's just how mm, it was in the islands. Yeah. Yeah. So as an 11-year-old, did you play in all of those bunkers? We certainly did. So there were lots of bunkers in the back of people's properties in a field. So we had uh, a couple that we loved. One, my brother, when my brother was 14, uh, you're allowed to have a motorbike up to 100cc at 14 mm-hmm. years old in Guernsey, although my dad wouldn't allow my brother to have one. So my brother, being stubborn, he's a Guernsey, <laughs> he did buy himself a motorbike and he stashed it in a bunker. So he used to leave home, <laughs> leave home on his pushbike and then he put the pushbike in the bunker up the road in Hazelay. Got my dad to knock around to listen to this. <laughs> and um, he would then get his motorbike out and he'd ride everyone on his motorbike and put it back in the bunker, the helmet, and ride home on his pushbike. <laughs> and then we had one behind our house, which he used to play in with. I had a number of cousins living either sides of the house where I grew up and friends from across the, the street. And we had our own den in the bunker. So it consisted of hallway and maybe five or six separate rooms all in concrete obviously no windows it's a yeah. concrete bunker but we we got hold of car seats and you know crates and stuff and put them in there in candles because there's no light in there and one time yeah one of the candles and we used to have sneaky cigarettes I don't think I did it 11 maybe 14 not 11 but some of the boys would have done so I don't know if it's the cigarettes or the candles but we caught fire to the car seats foam which was not good, and we got out of there coughing and spluttering. I don't know how come some of us made it, actually. Mm. But by that time, the neighbours were all there, and um, they boarded the bunker up, and we couldn't play it <gasps> anymore. It was a death trap if you've yeah. got smoke yeah. and, and that foamy stuff inside car seats and things oh, in there. Oh, yeah. So we lost that then. That's a shame. <laughs> but I, I guess you, you would have been in it so much, you would have known exactly how to find your way out. Or feel your way out. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah we had to. Yeah, mm. but smoke rises, so then you'd have to be on your knees. So, yeah. And um, we just yeah. followed whoever was going first, tagged along after them. Yeah. It must have been terrifying at the yeah, time. It was pretty terrifying, yeah. But you giggled afterwards, I'll bet. <laughs> We're still giggling now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the paper round. Okay. 
So I did a paper round for a number of years and delivering newspapers in Guernsey and I think in the UK is different to Australia where the letterbox is on the front door of every house, mm. not at the end of the property. So you have to get off your bike and walk down the driveway and go to the front door and put the letter in. So it takes longer to mm. deliver newspapers and also people want to chat and say hello to you. But by getting off your bike and walking to front doors, you also get accosted by dogs. And sometimes not nice dogs. So that was quite different. Um, But the thing I remember, a couple of things I remember most about the paper rounds is in the winter it's bloody cold, like it's been freezing. And around some of the more cliffy headlands where you had to deliver newspapers, there might be one house and not another one for a few metres down the road. And it's just, it's so cold. I just remember the pain in my ears Mm -hmm. being piercing and my fingers going numb. Because also on the weekend, we had to collect the money for the newspapers. So you actually went into someone's house. And lots of people, I love this, but they just leave the money in the kitchen on the table yeah. for you and you leave the change. Yeah. You just walk in some random stranger's house, leave the money. The trust is unbelievable. There was never a locked door. You just, so I just remember that. But the main thing, because it was so cold, Guernsey often gets covered in fog. Mm-hmm. And the newspapers, the national ones, would come from the UK and then be flown in. And I remember waking up on a weekend, Saturday and Sunday morning when I did my paper rounds, and one of the best noises I could hear in my life was, at that time, was this drone of the foghorn. Like, uh, and it was so good because it meant the papers couldn't land because there was fog in the island. So I didn't have to get out of bed and go and do the newspapers first thing. I could wait and hopefully they come in by the afternoon the same time as the local paper mm-hmm. and just do one round in the afternoon instead of doing two as we used to do. So was it, was it, I mean, if there's fog, it wasn't windy. It was just a really damp cold. Is that right? It is a damp cold, yeah. Um, there, there is there is wind, uh, especially in the winter, that piercing cold wind in your ears yeah. when you're riding against it on yeah. the coast doing newspapers. I feel like I'm something out of, like, um, Thomas Hardy, like, you know, like some old, oh, you know, yes. like, don't tell you know what I mean? That's yeah. something like I'm describing that. But that's, it was so cold and horrible. <laughs> Tessa the Darbervilles oh, or something. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, so back to the, the uh, Liberation Day, um, what I forgot to mention is that, Still to this day, because it's very important to me, I still celebrate Liberation Day in Australia, in Kings Park, for all the Guernsey expats. If there's any Guernsey people or any Channel Island people here listening to this by any strange reason, then Liberation Day on the Saturday or the Sunday closest to May the 9th, we meet in Kings Park to celebrate Liberation Day. Uh, we'll make local Guernsey bean jar, uh, local recipe, <laughs> And we make goshmela, which if you're from Guernsey, you'll know that's an apple cake. Um, we have slow gin, which is something else they made during the war. And we just sit and meet and talk, whether it's war stories or just what life is like living in Australia from, mm. from Guernsey. And just run around with our Guernsey flags in Kings Park. Love to see you there. How could they contact you? For the uh, Guernsey expats page. Page on? Facebook. Okay, so 1976... What was happening either in Guernsey or beyond that you recalled that, you know, because it's that age when you start to notice things beyond yourself. Mm. Do you recall much apart from the hot summer? Was, was there anything going on? Um, I remember Wimbledon. We used to, I used to love watching the tennis. And when I started high school, so I was 11, and we started the school term in September, I seem to remember staying behind a school because the PE teacher would put a TV in the hall 
Um, so we could watch Navratilova and Bjorn Borg. Mm-hmm. I think Steffi Graf and Chrissy Everett, maybe a, year, a couple of years later. But I used to love to watch the tennis. So um, Wimbledon, especially being you know from Britain, yeah. was a big thing for us. I don't remember too much from that. Starting high school was a really big thing mm-hmm. for me. I think going and getting the posh uniform, which I was really proud to wear. <laughs> I was really excited about getting my scarf and my hat and things. Okay, I think we might finish there. Thank you, Tanya, for sharing what life in Guernsey was like in 1976. Um, It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Amanda. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Being 11. If you liked what you've heard today, don't forget to like, subscribe, or visit our website at sofromedia.com to see what else we do. Until next time. This podcast includes music by Tristan Norton and Martin Kottmeyer.